baby! Viva la revolucion! That's right. We have finally, finally succeeded in victory. We have achieved victory. We being me, FC Cincinnati won this weekend, whatever. No, you get me, Kevin Wallace of the MLS Minute. It's finally taken over Knifey Lion Radio. actually going to do that. Uh, I guess that happens every time you say that. Uh, Try to avoid doing that again. Anyway, goodbye, Jonah. Goodbye, Nick. Goodbye, Zach. I guess it's always been goodbye to Chad. You get me this week. The other three, four, have been thrown into political prison. The revolution may not be televised, but it will be available in a weekly downloadable podcast. And I wasn't kidding. You actually get me the entire episode. Uh, Again, my name is Kevin Wallace. You might have heard my work on What's This Soccer Thing podcast. You might have read some of my words on the Pride blog. I am also known as DI's favorite Pride member. I also happen to be the Mafia's second favorite Pride member, so I'm coming with a pretty full resume on this one. Now, the Worker Council got together, took a vote, came up with a quick rundown of this week's episode. We've got a recap, of course, where we will find the FCC man of the week. We will look for a Diggle smash. I think I've got a styling on him. Oh, you mad because I'm styling on you. And then we got a couple other segments. Uh, we threw it out to the collective there, and I think we got some pretty cool ideas coming back. Uh, maybe we'll burn a couple bridges on the way out, and then... That'll be a wrap. Now, with this being a communist podcast, we don't have time for advertisements, especially of banks. Disgusting. Not sure what happened there. So we will absolutely not be running an ad read on this podcast. Uh, Oh, oh, hey, buddy. Oh, where's my kitty? Hey, kitty. No, 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 don't jump off that! No, 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 Get off of the control! Not that one! Hey, FCC fans. Did you know you can show your pride in a whole new way with the new FCC Visa debit card from First Financial Bank? You can. First Financial is the exclusive banking partner of FCC, and they're just as committed to this club as you and I are. Not only does the card look awesome, but also gets you discounts on FCC tickets and merch. Find out how to get yours and to see the account terms and conditions at bankoffirst.com slash Cincinnati. First Financial Bank, member FDIC. Your, your mom's a member of FDIC. I don't know. Anyway, Cat is out of the room. Kinks are worked out in the control room. Regular gang will be back next week. Don't worry, folks. But let's get into a little recap. FCC took on Chicago, and to get to the game, you had to go to Chicago and then head about an hour outside of the city, and it was a steamy one, or at least they kept saying that on the broadcast, a steamy one. Ooh, nice. Uh, Terrible crowd, I gotta say. I watched the Hartford Indy 11 game earlier in that day, and Hartford brought it. Their section has brass, they've got multiple drums going, they were bringing the noise in a newly renovated Dillon Stadium. Chicago looked pathetic, and on the broadcast they kept referring to two different supporter sections, and there was, I don't know, maybe 50 people in each one. It's a really, really sad scene out there in Chicago, and... I guess on one hand, it's 
an instance of the club stopped caring, Chicago Fire, and they moved really far outside of the city, so maybe they have a lot to blame. Uh, but at the same time, 10 million people live in that metro area. And you're telling me you can't find whatever it is, 28,000, 30,000 fans to go out to 17 games a year? Seems kind of weird. Hopefully they pick it back up when they move to Soldier Field. And it wasn't even just in the stands. The field looked awful. Uh, everybody talks about how grass is supposed to be the superior one. I have to think you'd rather play at Nippert than on that cow pasture they had out there. The lineup for this one for FCC, we had Richie in goal, Waston, Hoyt, Powell, Deplon on the back line, Stanko, Bertoni, Cruz, and your midfield with Ledesma, Mane, and Daly up top. Uh, of note, no Frankie. Apparently picked up an injury in the last game. Hopefully he gets back soon. Also, no Hagland. It's kind of concerning that Hoyt is the second choice center back over Hagland, especially given his price tag, but I will take whatever gets us a win. On the opposite side, Schweinsteiger was on a yellow card suspension. Uh, would have been interesting to see him play because apparently Chicago has been deploying him as a center back, and that just feels insulting. Also of note, out of the starting lineup for Chicago was Mihailovic. He was still, I guess, recovering from being a sub in the Gold Cup, and Nikolic was also on the bench. CJ Sapong has pretty well supplanted him, but Nikolic is pretty much their guy and always has been up there in Chicago. And just as soon as this recap starts, Cruz scores a goal. We're looking at less than a minute in, a beautiful cross in from Bertoni coming off the right wing. Oh, it's kind of sad to see. Uh, Rashawn absolutely whiffing on the initial attempt there. Kapilov couldn't uh, get it out of there. It bounces off of the chest of, I think it was uh, Herber there, and Cruz with the heads up goal. Incredible. Could not have a better start start to this game. Cruz, when he does score for FCC, does tend to do it with a bit of flair. This was awesome. 45 seconds in, like we said, and we're off to the races. Now, this is not exactly how uh, I think most people saw this going. Uh, I want to say it was in Chicago's last game. They went up 5-0 on Atlanta in the first half. So following that first goal, Chicago pretty well had their share of possession. And I got to tell you, this happened a couple of times in the 10, 15, 20 minutes after that goal. Whenever the ball is in our 18-yard box, it is awful to watch. It is always a mad scramble. Nobody knows where to put it. We we end up passing like weird short passes when she, we should just be absolutely clearing the ball. Guys tend to try to pass to each other to get the wide open clearance. It never looks right and it never looks comfortable. And it's really frustrating because it's not necessarily an experience. When it's, say, Hagland and Lasso in there, sure, you, you could understand what's going on. But when it's Waston and Hoyt, two of the most experienced defenders in MLS, period, it's super frustrating to watch. Now, before we get to the first penalty, I do have to point this out. I absolutely wrote it down in my notes. Powell, with a flat-footed throw-in, heaves it over halfway across the field. I feel like with a little bit of run-up, this guy could be launching throw-ins. There's an untapped potential there. I would love to see us work on a cheeky long throw every so often. Now, right when the game started to get into the flow of things, there was, of course, an awful Awful weather delay. Now, I say awful because, man, it was it was really feeling like, you know, FCC was, was starting to regain some control of the game. Chicago was on their back foot, and suddenly we got to take a pause for about two and a half episodes of Family Feud. Now, 
It was fun. I don't know. I, wa- I watched the uh, the Farina family there. They they killed it. It was the amazing comeback with the Sesame Street uh, pick to grab the 204 points needed to grab $20,000. I don't know. I didn't see anybody else's recap mention this. This is one of the performances of the night, and nobody else is going to mention this. It feels like a real snub. Also, apparently during the weather delay, there were two different uh, pitch invaders, which seems... Kind of weird. Also, I'm not entirely sure they get that credit of being a pitch invader if there's nobody out on the field. Uh, It did seem weird that they told all the players to go inside to the locker room because it was dangerous, but then the crowd was still pretty much in the stands. So was it dangerous? Was it not dangerous? So they've actually told everybody to move. Once the game comes back, we get back into it, and of course, tragedy strikes for old FCC. Kendall Waston with the hip check free kick giveaway turned to VAR penalty. It seems brutal. Now, uh, it's against CJ Sapong, and Sapong has, for just a fraction of a second, uh, a toe or two in the, the penalty box, moves outside of it. That's where he gets hip checked. The ball is coming in. It's super, super close. Guess I can see where the penalty was, but it feels weird because it wasn't so very clearly in the box and it's another one of those where he wasn't going to get a clean and open shot anyway but then the reward seems so much greater than what was actually being penalized in that case but Rashawn Wallace said it best ball don't lie one of the great philosophers of the 21st century according to Matt Brew the ball pings off the post and is quickly cleared away And then we have to mention Cruz again going for the stylish goal, goes to chip the keeper, does it, and it has absolutely no power behind it, and it gets cleared off the line immediately by Kapilov. we got to talk about it. It is Emmanuel Ledesma's handball in the box on a cross in injury time. Now, this frustrates me for a couple of reasons. One, I'm not entirely sure that's Ledesma's role to be that close to the end line, but props to him for getting back, I guess. That seems... Good. It, it's been his MO recently. He he pulls way, way far back. He pulls way, way central. He's always fighting for the ball. It's great. He does always seem to be a little bit out of position. I'm not entirely sure if that's his job right there to be doing the defensive shift. The other thing, and this is what kills me, he does the jump in the air and turn to show his back move, which is awful. I do it when I'm playing in our little rec league thing. Shouts to you, Pride 2. A professional soccer player should not be doing this because what happens is, inevitably, you throw your arms out to balance yourself and you give up a sloppy handball. Ledesma complains about every call ever called against him. If you were to ask him, he's never committed a foul in his life. And he doesn't really protest this one, and that should really tell you something. Now, this is acceptable if the ball hits your hand, but your hand is immediately in front of your body. Sometimes, it depends on the context, but he just flails his arm out there, and it's not necessary. It's just a cross. We have very tall defenders in the box to handle this. So, again, I'm not entirely sure it's his job to be there. He didn't really need to be doing it, and he did it in the sloppiest way possible, giving up the penalty, the second one of the half, which is awful. And Richie makes the save. He has another save. Now, the first one bounced off the... uh, the the frame on that one but he makes the save and he spills it right onto the penalty taker now this caused a little controversy on twitter and i have to agree the fact that you can follow up a penalty in soccer during the game is stupid 
either change the rules so that it happens in penalty kicks at the end of the game or change the rule at the end of the kick it's done whether it goes out of bounds bounces off the frame hits the goalkeeper whatever it should only be between the kicker and the goalie the fact that there's something else in there is weird not to mention that they had a runner run clearly into the box before the kick was taken right in front of the ref it was never called even if Richie had spilled it out to the right which he should have but whatever I'm not going to complain uh there was an onrushing kicker who shouldn't have been there it's an incredibly frustrating moment as an FCC fan we'd finally gotten off to a great start Cruz was absolutely feeling it and it's just a couple of stupid mistakes where the, the mental switch is turned off for a second. It's one of those things that maybe a new manager is able to fix or a more experienced manager is able to drill some, some extra level of discipline in. I don't know. It feels weird to blame DeMay for some of this stuff. There's weird mental mistakes that have happened consistently over this year that we keep seeing is very frustrating. Going into halftime, though, you'd take it. You know, you take a 1-1 draw on the road against Chicago, a fairly decent team uh, so far in MLS, especially in the first half. Caleb Stanko, you know, he's not really a guy that gets a lot of praise. Uh, he's also a guy who avoids a lot of criticism. I don't see a lot of people uh, disappointed with his performances, with the games. He doesn't get a ton of playing time, but when he's out there, he's he's fine, and that's that's pretty good. Uh, you take fine on a team with this record. Uh, but man, that guy was laying in challenges and rushing people in the midfield. It was awesome, awesome, awesome to see. Now, I think it's probably worth pointing out with Stanko, this is a good time to mention. I know a lot of people look at a whole bunch of different lineup formations in either the MLS app or the ESPN app, FOTMOB. You look at somebody makes a cool graphic on Twitter or something like that. Be weary of those, especially the app ones, because a lot of times it's just a random algorithm, I feel like, just, just picks random guys or they... They have this idea that certain players are in certain places or that the team plays a certain formation and it locks people's brains into that and they get really confused and they, they get all frustrated watching the game. Ignore that. Look, Stanko was a defensive midfielder. He sat in the middle of the field just above the defensive line and he put in hard tackles because that's what you want a defensive midfielder to do. Cruz and Bertoni, they had the ability to run forward. That's why Cruz scored the first goal. I saw somebody was complaining that Cruz was out wide again. Dude played centrally the entire game. Don't use these apps to sort of dictate your viewing on this i think another big thing is don't get locked into formations i know i'm getting a, a hint preachy here but people really lock into formations the formation is largely irrelevant what you really want is the player's role so if stanko is uh the the defensive midfielder in a given formation in a 4-3-3 he might be told to go cheat to the right or he might have been given the freedom to move all the way back or he might be told to drop back in between the center backs you're not entirely sure exactly what the coach has ever told these players to do i'm going to bring that back up again when we get to fernando adi because it's definitely something worth pointing out with that with a lot of people and their opinions on old fernando but Second half starts, and the message in the locker room had to have been shithousery, conca calf. 
we have to get out of here with a draw and we will do it by any means necessary. There were three different yellow cards in the beginning of the second half for time wasting, which seems absurd, is absurd, but it happened. And I could kind of see it with Richie's, although it felt harsh, even in its best interpretation. But the other two seemed just absolutely whack. But that was clearly what the message was. Go out there, harass the other players, and... I gotta say, even though that was clearly the game plan, Chicago seemed to be doing it better. I think they mentioned this on the broadcast, but Chicago, I mean, their guys are in the ref's ear every single play, every single time. They're grabbing uh, throw-ins when it's not theirs. They're really working the ref on that. I would love to see FCC do that a little more. Look, we are still in last place. Even though we've won a couple in a row, we're still in last place. I would like to see us embrace a little bit of that villainy. I, I know culture was a big thing with, with Koch and company before, but man, it felt good to see our team go out there and just harass the shit out of the other team. And then in the 67th minute, Fernando Addy comes in for Rashawn Dali, and boy, we got to talk about Fernando on this one because look, there were Reddit posts. There were people booing at the last game. I, I know the guys in, in KLR covered it last week, but man, this fan base really is just done with Adi. And to be honest, feels weird. If you were going to be mad at him, the, the DUI happened a long time ago. We seem to have accepted him since then, whereas now, now people are just mad at him as if he's the reason why the team is giving up seven goals against Minnesota. Weird. He comes into the game. He's not pressing. There's a reason why. Because he's there to keep that defensive shape for the team. If he's pulling too far ahead, it's freeing up a spot in the midfield for Chicago to pass back to, and they don't have to go back to the goalkeeper to restart. If he hangs back, Adi lengthens the field that they need to use in order to do full passbacks and full restarts. It forces the issue to Chicago. That's why he's doing that. If you see a player in general, if you see a player doing something that frustrates you over and over and over again, he's either A, a terrible professional athlete and no longer going to be a professional athlete soon, or B, it's probably something the coach told them to do because it's something they recognize with the other team. And that's what happens with Adi. And then in the 80th minute, there's a two-minute stretch here that is just perfect peak Adi. In the 80th minute, Adi steps back and he pulls way far back into the midfield and makes a defensive play, breaking up an attack before it happens. Now, I know a lot of people want to say he's lazy. They say a lot of people are lazy. They say he's lazy. He's tracking back and doing that defensive effort in the 80th minute. And then in the 82nd minute, Cruz doing his perfect impression of Conte in the midfield, wins the ball, passes it up to Mane. Mane, who had uh, pulled in more centrally, flings the ball up to Adi perfectly in stride. If you go back and watch this, dude doesn't even look up at the goal. He knows exactly where he's going. It's pure instinct. Slots one past the keeper. FCC is up 2-1. to one. And if you thought we were shithousing before, oh baby, we are time-wasting now. This was perfect. This was exactly what we needed from a guy who was booed by his own fans previously, comes in and scores this goal. Fernando Adi silencing the haters at least for another day. FCC wins this one 2-1 to one and... Really? You can start to see the game plan. You can start to see the pieces coming together. And man, when this whole roster is together, when this whole roster is in place, it's not a bad team. 
It's not a bad team at all. Now, after a performance like that, it's going to be difficult to come up with an FCC man of the week, but I don't know. You, you got to go Richie. You got to go Adi. Hmm. Richie, absolutely. Scarred Richie, we got to point out. Scarred Richie was absolutely fantastic. I kind of want to give it to Adi just to annoy everybody. It feels like the political choice feels like the uh, the Megan Rapino player of the tournament award when uh, it should have gone to Rose Lavelle. Um you got to give it to Adi, right? Let's do it. Fernando Adi is this week's FCC man of the week. Oh, man, I was supposed to give him a James the Jeweler. Nope, 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 nope. We're not doing that. Uh, let's go with uh, five labor credits. Uh, you spend those wherever you want, but mainly just the bread store will accept it. As for a... Dental smash. Got to give it to Emmanuel Ledesma. This is the 51st minute. Jumps up for a header. He's going up over the back of uh, Herbers. Throws an elbow into the back of the dude's head. And Manu, of course, then lays and collapses on top of him. So not only does he get the elbow into the back of the head, he lays on top of him, all while complaining that he was being called for a foul. Impressive. Uh, Honorable mention, though, I got to give it to this one. In the 62nd minute, CJ Sapong with a bicycle attempt that lands in his face. It was uh, it was impressive, and I, I hope he felt embarrassed because it looked pretty embarrassing. So there is your Dickle smash. As for styling on him. Oh, you mad because I'm styling on you. Got to go with the 48th minute, Alvis Powell. Now, I got to admit, this is kind of sloppy. So Powell picks up the ball in the middle of the field, uh, just in front of the 18-yard box. He heads off to the right, and he is just dodging. Chicago players left and right uh, honestly look like a toddler sort of running down a hill. Now he stays on his feet the whole time, but you know this isn't going to end well. And he finally gets to the end and he just runs out of room. A uh, Chicago player just takes it off him right there. Uh, but man, he, he is super impressive in in the interim. It looked awesome. And then, of course, he couldn't stop. Uh, I think it was Nick on Twitter said uh, it's like the guy in Mighty Ducks 2 who can skate really fast, the speed skater, but he can't stop. And that's, that's the exact impression that I got as well. And there you have it. FCC wins 2-1 to one against Chicago, a team that is just above them in the playoff standings. Now, you've been listening to me for quite a bit, so I made Jonah in his forced labor camp provide me one minute. See if he likes it to only get one minute on a podcast. So, Jonah, take it away. Jonah's. Jonah's. I'm up in an ivory tower at the moment. I'm waving down on you Adi Boo Birds. You flightless Boo Birds stuck in a shit-covered pen. Yeah, your boy's currently at the beach, spotting dolphins, boogie boarding on a professional level, and teaching my young white sons that all they need is some grit and hustle, and morons on Reddit will think they're worthy of a roster spot. Oh, guys, last night was the euphoria you feel when it's 50% joy and 50% telling your enemies to eat shit. The online parade of dickwads outwardly showed happiness for Adi's winning goal, but there was absolutely a choir of internal oops 
and honestly, that's what I'm here for. Like the sand falling through my open fingers, nothing here is permanent. Eventually all these players will be gone, and all of us will be dead. But last night, as I mock jerked off towards the sky after our maligned striker slotted home a winning goal, I thought to myself, this moment will last forever. Oh, catch out. That actually sounds like a really nice labor camp. Man, I gotta tell you, before this game, I'm listening to MLS Extra Time, and I'm listening to their another pundit, David Goss. He, he goes out there and says, FCC and the transfer window is looking to sign, I don't know, 9, 10, 11, 12 different players that can play all over the field. And I gotta say, this is a weird narrative that I've seen popping up all over the place, especially in our own fan base, but I still see it in the national media, and I refuse to accept it because, one, I'm a homer. Screw that. Screw you. I'm going to defend this team. Whatever. I may be wrong. So be it. But, two, I think people have the narrative and the story wrong for this team. I'm not buying it. So this week, probably this week only, I have a new segment called And One More Thing. Just one more thing. But there is one last thing. Because, man, I got to go on a rant here. Look, you're not going to get me to say that Jeff Birding is a fantastic general manager. I wrote a blog post about how he should never touch soccer decisions again immediately after firing Alan Koch. You're not going to get me to say that every single player on this team is amazing. We have the benefit of hindsight now, but you have to remember, this roster wasn't built in the summer of 2019. It was built in the winter of 2018 and in the winter of 2019, not today. So as much fun as it is to look at a player uh, today and condemn them for how they, they were selected previously is wrong. Because look, this team was built with an attacking trio of Lama, Maddox, and Adi. Now, I know, Maddox doesn't like to play on the wing, whatever. But if you look at those three players, Lama, Maddox, and Adi. Lama, the last two seasons in MLS, he scored eight goals and 11 goals the season before that. Maddox scored 14 goals last year. The year before that, 11 goals. Adi, before coming to FCC, and of course, he picked us in USL. Remember, Fernando Adi, the guy that we boo, the guy that we hate, he chose to come to us while we were in USL. That should buy you a level of goodwill that exceeds almost any criticism, period. That dude bought in on the ground floor. That dude was in Nippert Stadium before some of the people who have season tickets in Nippert Stadium now. Adi, before joining FCC, had 10 goals, 16 goals, 16 goals. These guys had tons of goals. You add those up. You add eight goals from Lamont. You add 14 goals from Maddox and 10 goals from Adi. If they could equal that, and then you throw in Ledesma. Now, I know Ledesma, not an MLS player. Last year, had 16 goals and 16 assists in USL. I'm not even going to say that USL was close to the MLS level. Although I'll point out FCC did get beat by a USL team and in USL beat a handful of MLS teams. So maybe that distance isn't so great, but let's cut his goals in half. Let's cut uh, Ledesma's goal in half. Uh, let's give him eight goals. You add that up, you end up with 40 goals on the season for FCC. If those guys could match what they did last year. You know what 40 goals get you last year? 43 goals get you into the playoffs. 47 goals get you into the playoffs. 
49 goals just missed out on the playoffs. And we're looking at four players. The four attacking players would have been able to put up 40 goals. You're telling me you couldn't find 10 goals between Waston, between Bertone, between Cruz, between, didn't even mention this, Mane as another winger out there. He's always good for three, four, five MLS goals in, in his time in Vancouver. So you're telling me that this team was built poorly. Well, I'm looking at an offense that was built to make the MLS playoffs. And then we go and we look at the midfield. We have Bertone. Bertone is 24 years old, played in the Champions League. In fact, the match he played in last before transferring to FCC was against Juventus and Cristiano Ronaldo in the Champions League. You're telling me a Swiss midfielder with the technical abilities of Bertone, who was playing in the Champions League, transfers to FCC, and he is bad? Everybody keeps acting like we signed a whole bunch of these defensive midfielders, and Bertone is always included in that. He's not a defensive midfielder. He's a box-to-box guy. It's a very different role, but he has a skill set that can translate to MLS. You throw in a guy like Cruz, Alan Cruz. Everybody in, in MLS is always saying MLS teams need to be signing young South American talent and import them. Alan Cruz is a DP from Costa Rica, who plays for the Costa Rican national team, is a box-to-box guy, an exciting player, comes to FCC, and we're told that we've signed a whole bunch of nobody defensive midfielders. I'm sorry, I thought we did the exact same thing that everybody was asking us to do. And oh, by the way, Alan Cruz is a fantastic player. FCC has struggled when he's not on the field. FCC has struggled when he is with his national team. So when Alan Cruz is on our team and he's not being played out on the wings by Alan Koch, he's playing centrally, he is contributing. He is responsible, I would say, for both of the goals against Chicago, the defensive effort that unlocks the Adi goal, and, of course, his goal to start the game 45 seconds in. You're going to tell me he's a terrible player, that this roster is built so poorly? And let's throw in there Victor Uoa in your midfield, rounding out your midfield three. Victor Uo is a workhorse defensive midfielder in MLS. When Extra Time Radio was talking about how FCC should have built their roster, they said that we should have signed guys like Victor Uoa. Well, guess what? We signed Victor Uoa, a defensive midfielder who helped win supporter shields in the past in MLS. He isn't even all that old, and we bring him into this team. So all of a sudden, you're looking at a starting front three that can provide you 40 of the, let's say, 50 goals needed to make the playoffs, and a midfield three of a young Central American DP, Bertone with Champions League experience, and Victor Uoa, who's an MLS workout. So you're going to tell me that this team so far has been built poorly. Okay, now let's keep going backwards. We've got on the left side of the defense, we have Greg Garza, the best left back in MLS. Let me repeat that. FCC goes out and signs the best left back in MLS. Next to him, they put Kendall Waston, a perennial, perennial all-star. A guy who starts in center back for Costa Rica, the second best team in CONCACAF. And again, you're going to tell me this team was built poorly. On the right, Alvis Powell. Now, I get it. Alvis Powell had a bad first game in Seattle. Everybody had a bad first game in Seattle. I actually said Cott should be fired after the Seattle game. Maybe that was irrational. I had my reasons. I said Cott should have been fired after the Seattle game. Powell did not have a good game. Previously, when he was in Portland, you know what he did? He helped get them to MLS Cup. He played in the final in the previous year against Greg Garza's team. 
So we go and grab the right back from the team that was runner up to MLS Cup. Again, again, this is a poorly built team. This team sucks that we've built so far on paper with this. And then, of course, Nick Haglund. Oh, the Haglund deal was so bad. The Haglund deal was so bad. Oh, you can't go anywhere without healing about oh, how awful that Haglund deal was. Okay, who should we have gotten instead? How much did we overpay by? These are questions nobody can answer. Would you have rather had Kappelhoff, who, by the way, we would have had to trade for, wasn't somebody we just get. Would you rather have had Kappelhoff? Because he didn't he didn't clear that goal that Cruz scored last night. He's not, he's not a great defender. Would you have rather had Lawrence Simon? Lawrence Simon is the guy that Toronto picked with that allocation spot that we gave up. According to whoscored.com, I don't know how much this is worth to you, but according to whoscored.com, Hagland has a higher rating in MLS than Simon does. In fact, there's a reason why Simon keeps getting passed around to MLS team to MLS team. He's not that good. Hagland, for his part, just two years ago, was playing on the best MLS team ever in 2017. That Toronto team set the points record. They were incredible and unstoppable. And Hagland started half the games as a young center back who was deputizing for a hurt, injured captain. Okay. So you're telling me that this team, these 10 players that we've put out there, a guy, uh, who, this whole team, top to bottom, scoring goals, defending goals, some of the best defenders in MLS, a midfield that is made up of the exact DNA that you would build if you were building an MLS team. You're telling me that this team is awful? You're telling me that this team would not do well in MLS? Come on now. Come on. I... I've had it with people saying that this team isn't set up to win, that this team was built poorly. Now, keep in mind, I am accepting for just a second the money because, honestly, I'm not paying their money. I'm not paying the salary. I don't care. I want a solid product out on the field, and they went out and did it. And I turn around and I hear people saying that this team cheaped out. I'm sorry. We're also overspending for every player, so please reconcile that for me. We are an incredibly cheap team, and we've overpaid for every single player. Hmm, one of these two things doesn't make sense. So we either overspend or we don't. I don't know which way you want to go with it, but one way you're wrong. And then goalkeeper. Now, I will admit that Teton was a huge miss. I don't know why this team signed him. It didn't make sense. I said they should have taken Richie and Newton. It's probably stupid. Uh, We've actually been incredibly lucky that Richie has been as good as he has been. But man... Teton, when he's in there, does not look good. And there's probably a reason why he didn't have a club for about a year before signing with us. So I'm willing to say the goalkeeper we missed on, but you're telling me the rest of this team was built poorly? Now, keep in mind, I know this is the next thing. Oh, but the team's not deep. Oh, we brought up too many USL guys. Yeah, probably. But guess what? If you were building a cheap bench, if you were building a core of a team that you know uh, if you needed a draw you could put half of these guys out there you might pick the best usl team ever to build that core as for which guys got picked well honestly flip a coin swap out bone for uh do you swap out richie ryan for mclaughlin i don't know Maybe, maybe those work. Maybe they don't. Maybe the older guys get hurt. Maybe the international guys aren't worth bringing. Maybe Justin Hoyt was a mistake, but Patty was going to cost an international spot too. So was Deckel. So I don't know. If you're building a team that is going to put a solid 11 out there, which I think 
I demonstrated that they did. This is a solid team with a great pedigree that can perform and do well in MLS. And you had to build a bench. You'd probably build the bench with one, the bench you know, and two, the bench that makes up the best USL team ever. It's not the worst idea I've ever heard. Now, here's the problem. Alan Koch, turns out, was a little out of his depth. You know how I know? Because Kenny Safe isn't on this team anymore. Because a lot of these guys were really, really, really upset with Koch. And the biggest one is we saw a whole bunch of people celebrating that Koch was fired when he was finally fired. Something tells me Koch wasn't doing a very good job. So you have a team that goes through the preseason trying to play a certain way, and they don't. They, they switch it up going into the MLS season. They play for a couple of games, and it looks good. By the way, we looked really good at the beginning of this year. Everybody wants to act like we started off poorly. Koch was winning Coach of the Week. The players were in the teams of the week. We were doing awesome. In fact, we were one win away from having the best start for an expansion team ever. That is when we had all of our players going. And then when a couple of things went wrong when Garza gets hurt. When a couple of pieces started to fall off, Koch was exposed. In USL, he wasn't exposed. In MLS, he was. They fired the manager. They hired a 27-year-old interim manager. And Johan Demay promoted him, hired him, whatever. And now, all of a sudden, we have to restart the entire season all over again for the second no, third time. They built the roster. They start then. They go through the preseason. They restart again to start the season. And now we're restarting again for the third time. And just icing on the cake for Dame, you lose Adi, your striker. You start losing guys left and right to injury and international duty. Oh, boy. All of a sudden, we start losing players left and right, and this team is not doing great. Here's the thing. This team was very obviously set up to do very well to start. They were supposed to do very good at the beginning. And then when the Gold Cup came around, a USL team that was well drilled, that bench, that back core group of players was supposed to be able to step up and at least draw a handful of games until the starters came back and they continued to push into the playoffs. That was the narrative that was supposed to be written and it didn't go according to plan. But... I'm not going to sit here and act like this team was built poorly. This team was totally screwed up from the beginning and that this whole team is stupid and our roster sucks and we need all brand new players. You know what I'm seeing? I'm seeing the Gold Cup is done. I'm seeing a bunch of players are coming back from injury. And I'm seeing some reinforcements coming in to fill in some blank spots that we have. All of a sudden, we have another center back. All of a sudden... We're looking at another left back. Oh, boy. Some of those holes in our roster starting to get plugged. It's almost as if this team was built knowing they were going to be able to plug some holes given the summer window opening. What I'm going to say here right now is that FC Cincinnati is going to make the playoffs this year. This team is too good. It's too talented. They have way too many good pieces. A half-decent manager who gets them organized, gets them playing, is going to do a great job. Look at what Dame has already built so far in the handful of games that we've had our starters back on the team. This is going to get a lot better a lot quicker. Also, let's look ahead a little bit. There's only five road games remaining in the season. We have nine home games to go. Of the teams ahead of us in the playoff run, we've got Toronto, Orlando, New England, Chicago, Columbus. 
We play them seven times. We play at Columbus in August, and I expect that to basically be a home game for FC Cincinnati. So this team is going to make the playoffs. This team is so much better than any national pundit has ever given it credit for. You make a couple of signings here and there. You make a trade here and there. And this team is set up for success. Whew. Anyway, uh, coming up this week, we've got two different home games. Woo! We've got a Thursday game against DC United. Rose Lavelle is going to be there. There's going to be fireworks. Wayne Rooney is going to be there. Should be fun. I really hope Wayne Rooney ends up on the front page of the Inquirer. Again, maybe put him on there twice. Who knows? Uh, and then also on Sunday, we have the New England Revolution. Both of these games are key to that playoff push. Mm-hmm. Uh, but definitely that New England game with Bruce Arena there. Now, this week, Bruce Arena said that the sports fan or the soccer fan of today doesn't care about their history. Oh, so this week, I have another new segment for you called Cincinnati Soccer History where I'm going to run through some of the old teams you can ball around here so that when you are a fan of FC Cincinnati, you can be a good fan. And believe me, I am absolutely the final arbiter of whether or not you are a good fan. This will definitely put you on the right track. We'll learn a couple of the teams, some of the little players or whatnot, and uh, you get a better sense of your roots, where you're coming from. So, of course, most recently, a lot of people know the Cincinnati Saints were around in the, uh, the NPSL, and the Cincinnati Dutch Lions are actually still kicking. Now, before all of this, actually, uh, 1997-2003, it was the Cincinnati Riverhawks. And before that, the beloved indoor team, the Cincinnati Silverbacks, actually gave up in 1998. Now, a little even before that, uh, they were around for one year, but there was the Cincinnati Cheetahs. Uh, before that, the Cincinnati Kids, which uh, actually, I think that one's made up. Kids. I mean, geez, it's kind of creepy when you think about it. You'd hope their owner would... Oh, God, their owner was Pete Rose. Okay, then there was the Cincinnati Comets. They were in the, the division below the old NWS... Or, no, the NASL. Before that, of course, there was sort of the ethnic phase. So there was the, the Cincinnati Croatian Super Eagles in 1955 and the Cincinnati Greek Super Eagles of 1954 and the Estonian Super Eagles in 1951. There's a lot of Super Eagles. Uh, the, the immigrants really like the Super Eagle. Uh, before that, going way back for this one, there was the Cincinnati Bears in 1936. Now, this was a team made up mostly of gay Eastern European immigrants. Uh, before that, it was actually the Cincinnati Soapy Boys in 1925. They were a P&G company team that battled the, the old Bethlehem Steel back in the day. And then, of course, who can forget the classic Cincinnati team, the 1914 Los Santaville Mudmen. Now, they just narrowly lost to the Bethlehem Steel in the old American Cup. And I thought it'd be fun to kind of do like a, a you know, where are they now segment for the, uh, the old Los Santaville Mudmen. So I'm going to run through the starting 11 of that team that lost to Bethlehem Steel and uh, kind of see what they're uh, see what they're up to today. Goalkeeper Ken Campbell. Uh, well, actually, this is tragic. He's he's dead. Uh, it turns out. Um, uh, defender James Scott. Uh, he's he's actually also dead. As well, uh, Harry Lowe, uh, fantastic right foot on this case. One of the, the early defenders actually played out of the back. Uh, sadly, Harry is is no longer with us. Uh, Robert Ferguson, this guy would bomb up and down the left side. There, uh, he's he's dead. Uh, it turns out. Uh, 
Robert Crawford, one of the original, uh, you know, bruising defenders in that old American Cup uh, there. He's, he's actually no longer with us. Uh, as well. Uh, Hugh Lester, a creative midfielder. He has also passed away. Arthur Barry. Arthur was a fan favorite, loved around town. The the old saying was he he never bought a drink uh, anywhere he went. Uh, He is also uh, dead. Uh, Tom Miller, another one of those creative midfielder types, He's also dead. James Stewart was actually the golden boot winner of the American Cup tournament that year. He is also no longer with us. Samuel Gilligan. Now, he was actually a a recent uh, immigrant to the U.S. He barely spoke any English. He actually spoke only Welsh, uh, which is interesting. Uh, Tried to catch up with him, actually, uh, but he is also dead. And then, finally, Ralph Holden. Now, Ralph was the team captain. He was the, the talisman on this team. Everything ran through him, uh, was able to get in touch with uh, some of his, his kids. Uh, he is dead. So there you go. There's the, the where are they now, the Los Santaville Mud Men. Uh, it, was a, uh, it was not nearly as much fun of a segment as I thought it was going to be. Yeah, that's pretty well going to do it for this uh, Nyphilian Radio episode. I had a lot of fun. Hopefully I didn't break anything or ruin anything for uh, for Jonah, Nick, and uh, and Zach there. You'll have the, the regular crew back next week. In the meantime, follow Knifey Lion Radio on Twitter. Uh, be sure to give uh, the podcast a five-star review wherever you're getting your podcast. Tell a friend about the podcast. You know, somebody who's into FCC, tell them about Knifey Lion Radio. Uh, check out that first financial bank card and uh, tune in next week. Thanks.